The goal, explain the 1990s in exactly 60 songs. The result, we did it. I'm Rob Arvilla. I host 60 songs that explain the 90s, which has indeed covered 60 fantastic songs thus far from Tupac to Radiohead to TLC. So let's do 30 more. Let's do 90 songs. No, we're not changing the name. More rad songs, more special guests, more astute critical analysis, more loopy nostalgic exuberance. That's 60 songs that explain the 90s every Wednesday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always, for the intro music. Today, we have an interview with Chef Kwame Unuachi and his co-author, Joshua David Stein, of a book coming out called My America. It's very, very good. We talk in depth about uh, how I think it's going to be different than many of the cookbooks that you may have out there or have on your coffee table extremely informative. Not only does it tell the life and story of Kwame and how he thinks about food, but it's a new perspective on building your pantry and building flavors. And JDS, Joshua David Stein, I've known him from years, is one of the best food writers out there and also extremely funny. And you'll probably hear, not a surprise, a lot of Harry Potter stuff in this podcast. That being said, I've been getting a lot of inbounds for people because people are traveling a lot more today. These days, people are traveling. They're back. It's back. I'm not living in New York, although I'm traveling a lot. And a lot of people are asking me where to eat in New York City. And I give them my list. And, and the funny thing is I'm seeing some restaurants pop up over and over and over again. I'm also getting a lot of where to eat in Los Angeles besides the kebabs and stuff that we've talked about. But people are visiting Los Angeles and they just want to know where to eat again. I'm not going to say where I've been eating. I'd rather it come from you guys. And again, going back to uh, a lot of this Atlas mentality that we have about using the Discord channels that we have. I just want to stay close to New York and Los Angeles for now. And then we'll definitely move on to other cities. It's, it, there's some threads already on the Discord. But what are the, what are the places that you are telling people that are visiting? Where to eat in New York? And where to eat in Los Angeles? And you know what? We don't have to stop there. Where to eat in general here in America or abroad? Where do you go? I, I've been getting a lot of recommendations for Paris. I haven't been to Paris in 10 years. I don't know where to eat. I don't even know what restaurants are open. So I just, maybe we should just assemble some of the things that people like where to eat, what to eat, what they're excited about. Love to hear them. And we'll talk about that on a podcast soon and definitely on our Discord channel. So I'll leave it at that. But in the interim, here is our interview with Kwame and JDS on their new book, My America. Go check it out. Go buy it. It's fantastic. Thank you. We're joined with Kwame and Joshua David Stein. Um, I, haven't, I just called you JDS for so long. I don't know if I've pronounced your name. Uh, that that uh, is correct. Yes. This is Joshua David Stein. <laughs> Kwame, this is the second go round. Welcome. Welcome so back. This is your second book, guys, right? First book was the memoir. Second book, cookbook. Are you guys going to be doing the press tours together as well? Some, mostly I think Kwame will be out front and I'll be in the audience wildly applauding. <laughs> Now, that's what I've always wondered. It's not very fair when you have a co-author and the co-author that 
wrote, helped write the book doesn't actually have to do all of the press, such as Kwame. So I, I, I don't think that's a fair shake. Don't you think, Kwame? Don't, I think JDS should be involved in every aspect of <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> Well, I think we played to our strengths, so. <laughs> that is harsh. That's, you know, that's, that's the beauty of our relationship, you know? He's not on TV judging stuff and opening restaurants and, you know. I'm quietly I, 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 judging stuff. <laughs> I have my, my strengths and he has his. That's how, that's how we, we keep going, keep this relationship alive. It's a beautiful book, My America. Thank you. Thank you. So speaking of, you know, this is the second book. You guys got along enough to work on a second one in a row. There was no falling out after the first one. Kwame, do you see this as a continuation of the first book? Is it a completely different thing? Is like, How do you see these two connected? Uh, I would say it's a little bit of both. You know, it's definitely picking up or, or continuing just like the, the mission of the last one, which is like telling a story and telling my story. And, you know, we're doing it in different ways, but it's also just talking about my ancestors a lot, you know, the people that really made me who I am, um, the people that influenced my cooking. It's giving a voice to the inaudible. Um, I think the first one did that in a way by just telling a story that people did not really have an idea what's happening in kitchens. Um, this one is a direct, like giving a voice to, to a lot of these recipes and their lineage. Is one of these, I, 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 I kind of feel like you, you two will have different answers to this. Was one of these books from a purely like putting it together, getting things down, logistics, making a book, was one of these easier for you than the other? <laughs> yeah, the cookbook had a much, you know, when we started the cookbook, obviously Kwame's life had changed from when we had started the memoir. Even from when we started the memoir, from the beginning of that process to the end of it, his life had changed and had only gotten more and more sort of expansive with more team members and stakeholders and that kind of thing. So by the time we came to doing the cookbook, he kind of, there was a team and, and naturally a cookbook as well has, you know, recipe developers, recipe testers, uh, photography, Clay did uh, an absolutely amazing job, I think, on the book. So it was a lot more coordination, I would say, whereas um, the memoir was really just me and Kwame having conversations. So they were challenging in different ways. You know, the other thing is with a cookbook, you have a different mode of expression. You have the narrative essays, which we have, but primarily you have recipes and headnotes. And you're telling a story through recipes and those headnotes. And as Kwame alluded to, the stories we're telling in My America aren't just his personal stories, but the stories of the diaspora that came before him. So it was kind of broader. And for me as a co-writer, a little more terrifying in the sense that it's a long and very rich and difficult history that you really want to get right. Um, same and with the memoir, I think Kwame can speak to this too. But a little bit of that challenge was, well, we ha we didn't know each other when we started, so it was getting to know each other, learning to trust each other, developing our voice, developing the voice of the book, which is Kwame's soul, I would say, and I help him get that to the paper. But it's not purely his speaking voice. It's not purely my writing voice. It's like a a word baby. So we had developed, the, we had conceived and given birth to a word baby. So this was our second go. Gross. No, beautiful. <laughs> Kwame, how beautiful. did you come to trust this guy? How did you, well, he just, you, you just said it. Like you guys didn't know each other in the beginning. How do you, how do you come to trust somebody with your story, the story of your ancestors, your recipes, their, the story of, you know, your, your ancestors recipes. Like how do you, that's a lot of trust. It's an instinct. That. <laughs> You know, you know, a good person when you meet them, but it, it takes time. You know, even when we first started notes, um, there was a lot of, a lot of courting, a lot of conversations, you know, before we really got into it. Um, and I think that's important with any relationship. It's just like really getting to know that person. Are, are you going to vibe? Is this going to work out? Um, but I think, you know, the trust came from, from his work ethic, you know, and the care that he put into it. It wasn't, it wasn't just a job to him, anything that we did together. Um, we were like on a mission to do something different. Um, and I really admired that from the get-go. Um, 
the recipe testing? How did that go? Oh man, that was that was amazing. <laughs> because people need to understand, you there, there's so many like processes, a lot, a lot of steps to making a book. I don't think I answered the question. I think the cookbook was harder for sure. It was just so involved. Like the recipes needed to be tested. You know, now there are recipes that I grew up eating. You know, and I've I've made before or I've made in restaurants, so I had them. But then you know, you always have to have a recipe tester make them to make sure the recipes are sound. And I was like filming. So like they had to like send them across the country in these styrofoam boxes. And I would, you know, get off set and eat like 14 different dishes, you know, and make notes. And then I wouldn't like something that to make it again, ship it across the country again. So it was like, it was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of fine tuned details. And a lot of FedEx. A lot of FedEx, a lot of... We put the Fed in FedEx. <laughs> that is, that's like, that's pretty serious. I don't, I mean, I think that like the fact that you did that, like, yeah, I mean, Chang, Chang will attest to this more than anybody. Like, there's a lot of, there's, there, there's a lack of integrity and in a lot of cookbook making, but the fact that you actually were shipping recipe tested recipes to across the country to taste them, like that's above and beyond. Like, that's not... See? For me, it was amazing because it was during the pandemic. So we weren't going anywhere, no travel, no restaurants, nothing. I, like everyone else, has uh, got a pandemic uh, dog, Hermione. And the recipe <laughs> tester, Caroline Lang, lives around the corner from me. So every week we would meet at the dog park and she would give me this like huge bag of the most delicious food, uh, like court containers, you know, of etouffee and like jambalaya and mom duke's shrimp and all of all of this amazing stuff house spice um sofrito like all everything and i lived on that i didn't cook and i didn't eat out for the year that we did this book every week i would just re-up at the dog park and i don't know what the other people at dog park thought but it was a dream it was really no offense. I love this process. I love the book. It's beautiful. But that was the best part of doing I this book. I am so happy you had a good time. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm glad. Because I'd be like, fuck, 25 more dishes I got to eat right now. This is so much food. After like judging competition shows. Legitimately, they would make something and they would send it to you. I feel I mean, sure like a schlub. It. That's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. I sure they did it. And then that I would does not freak happen. out if they didn't pack it properly and label it properly. <laughs> so like, that does not happen, man. That. that is crazy. Yeah. Can I take a quick digression? So Joshua, you have a dog named Hermione. I was just going, flipping through the, uh, the cookbook, seeing some of Kwame's tattoos. Mm. Do you have a Deathly Hallows tattoo on your arm? Of course I do. <laughs> Are you two Harry Potter nerds? Harry Potter. <laughs> Tommy's a Harry Potter nerd. I am. My dog came named from Puerto Rico. Ching, Ching I, don't, I, don't be- I don't believe JDS <laughs> at all. That's, that's not true. It's true. I tried to. I mean, I tried he's to a journalist. Change the name. He's, he's oh, literally the name of dogs. He's well read in Scholastic News. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I there's one published the book is a children's book, so it's, it would make sense that he's in the Harry Potter universe as well. My dog. First of all, Hermione's a she. Unless there's some JK Rowling <laughs> shit that we don't want to get started on. Chang, uh, <laughs> can you sorting hat these guys? JDS. Well, Kwame's clearly uh, like Slytherin. I no, think I'm, I'm Gryffindor, baby. No, you're not. You're one <laughs> of am. us. You're one of us. You're one of me. You're <laughs> in my I'm house. A you're Slytherin. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, a hero. hero. Yeah. I'm a hero. Kwame's in Slytherin because it's the best house. No, Slytherin is the flyest house for sure, but Gryffindor, I'm, I'm team Gryffindor. I bring the style of Gryffindor. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Joshua is probably Hufflepuff. Joshua is definitely Hufflepuff. Yeah. I'll take Hufflepuff. What? That's the most Hufflepuff thing you can say is yeah. to be called Hufflepuff and then take it. Because he is. He's a very, <laughs> he's a very pleasant. Is it me and like person. Mary David? Yeah. <laughs> Hufflepuff. Oh man. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you take it laying okay. down? All right, sorry for that quick J.K. Rowling uh, interjection. Ying, I think we have to get tattoos. Look how tatted up these guys are. We I look know, like schlubs. I know. We, I know. We do look like schlubs. I don't know what we would do, though. I feel really uncool, man. Kwame just looks cool because he's more stylish, better looking. We all know these things. Mm. But I think Thank Josh you. has got some pretty cool tattoos, too. 
Josh has some cool. good tattoos. Yeah. That's why we get along too. We look like we should be friends. <laughs> Do you guys agree with this though? One tattoo, specifically, I, maybe one tattoo on a guy doesn't look good. Just one tattoo. You mean Depends one on small like piece of flash? Yeah, like an ankle, like an ankle tattoo, like an ankle tattoo, just like, <laughs> like a tramp stamp. Yeah, like it doesn't look. If you have just one on your forearm, it wouldn't look good. No, I think a, a, an ideal no. look for a man is a like a yin yang of dolphins right above in his lower back. <laughs> I think that is peak well, alpha what's, male. What's weird is I was born with that birthmark, <laughs> so I don't know what house that puts me in in Hogwarts. Hufflepuff. We're totally Hufflepuff. off topic here, but. Do, do you guys have a tattoo you are regretful for getting? Ooh. Do you, there's got to be one. Yes. Where you're like, eh, it didn't work out so well. Kwame's immediate no. Mm-mm. No. JDS seemed to yes. I have. Um, oh, God. Oh, the God. shirt's covered up. <laughs> what is this podcast we're on? He's not Hufflepuff. I have this, He's um, not Hufflepuff anymore. That's not Hufflepuff. <laughs> gift, dude. He's what slithering. You're slithering. It's, it's teen beats. It's a, it's a, um, when I was in college, Remember that Altoids ad? They're curiously strong. And it had this pinup woman uh, who kind of looked like a Betty Page pinup. That was like my second tattoo. And her dress was red. And red fades out of tattoos pretty quickly. So now she just looks kind of wrinkly and naked. And my kids are always like, who's that woman with the carrot arms? Because her arms look like carrots. <laughs> Gross. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, I kind of want to get a pantsuit tattooed over her. Think that'd be nice. Kwame just says oh. gross. <laughs> Actually, that lady, I, 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 I tracked down the model from that ad, and now she sells real estate in Connecticut. We oh, will all be go. doing that one day soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Right, doing well for herself. Got herself a rowing machine and a radiator too. <laughs> <laughs> all right so back on back on topic here we were, we were talking a little bit about recipes and, and recipe testing and everything but you know a lot of these recipes in this book uh you know originate i mean i'll call them family recipes i'll call them you know they, they originate with things that you've eaten people have cooked for you kwame Chang and i've been talking a lot lately about this idea of family recipes and and you know how they get preserved from one family you know Chang's Chang's mom never gave him a recipe ever or gave him fake ones uh you know other people have like very meticulous mothers and grandmothers who keep track of these things what what was it like with your family and and how was it to sort of like translate these into into this book well my mom's a chef so she write down she'd write down her recipes and um in quantities and things like that so it wasn't really that difficult and, and a lot of them i've been cooking for so long so it wasn't like i had to go and like beg for a recipe for this or that. Um, if anything, it was like, how'd you make this thing again? Like what, what, what exactly was in it? Okay. I got it. Got it. Got it. And then we would, you know, test it and write it down. Cause there's certain dishes like rice and eggs, which is like one of my favorite dishes in the book. It's just was leftover rice and she would cook it with butter and garlic and onions and house spice and eggs. And it was like our breakfast the next day. So those recipes were just like, it was fun, you know, like reliving that and, and, um, and getting the exact measurements down. But a lot of these recipes we've been doing for so long, you know, I think the hardest part, like, you know, Josh can tell you, it was like, we had to cut down recipes. Like it was really easy to get the 125 list of what we were making for this book. And, you know, we had more than that. And it was like, okay, we got to cut this down. And at that point I realized, I was like, damn, I, I ate really good as a kid, you know, like 125 different recipes off the top of my head. So yeah, that was, that was the experience. Kwame, you, you said something very interesting. We have to get into. I didn't have this. I also didn't have this. House blend. And this is a whole nother topic about the book, about your pantry, which is a phenomenal sort of description of all the things that somebody could have, right? In terms of a, a pantry yeah. that should be much more broader and in scope. But house blend. I mean, I know uh, my friends that are Indian, they have house blend like sambar or garam masala or something like that. Mm-hmm. This house blend this was is a, a Gryffindor house spice. Yeah. <laughs> Slytherin. Slytherin. Slytherin house spice. Everyone can make their own. Uh, Hufflepuffs is just water. Hufflepuffs is water. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Ice. It's ice. Um, okay. Yeah, but no, I mean, it was, it was a blend that was just always in my kitchen. It was our, our family's like 
house spice blend. Um, it was our all purpose seasoning went on everything. And, you know, it was the, also the building block of like our cuisine. So my family is Creole. So if we made gumbo or etouffee or peel and eat shrimp, that was the base of the flavor. But if we made any other cuisine, we still use house spice to bump it up. This is like, I, I, I imagine this is, you know, <laughs> my, my house spice has just become momofuku savory salt. But like prior to that, like I didn't have a house spice. Like, Josh, did you have a house spice growing up? Like, did, is that a thing? No, you I had like the number for Lee's hoagies. <laughs> I mean, I love this idea, though. I love that like your house has a distinctive flavor. But to go back to like Chang, well, two things. One, I think the pantry section to me in like writing cookbooks, it's the most important section. And I think there's always a pressure to get like right into the recipes, but it's kind of like you have to set up your pantry and then everything flows very easily from it. Um, and I'm really grateful and happy that in this book, we were given the space to have a substantial pantry section without the pressure of like, okay, well, let's start getting into the main recipes because this is an underpainting for everything else you do. But, you know, Chang, you, I, I think in a little bit, an, an, an analog would be like, I don't know if your mom made jong or like, you know, denjong, ganjong or gochujang, right. but like jong is of its environment. And that is kind of like the house spice in a Korean idiom. Mm. And probably even kimchi. I guess you're right. I, I can see it that way for sure. But I just... It's like a food, though. It's like not some. Yes, I guess it is not shelf stable because it's fermented. But I wish we had a spice blend that it was ours, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, even if you have kanjang or you have something that's a ferment like that, it's not going to have. You can make better quality versions of that. But I would imagine a spice blend can incorporate all kinds of things. So it would be awesome to have that more regularly available. But going back to the pantry. I think that is the, I'm glad you guys mentioned that because I thought that was the most outstanding bit besides everything else being great. If you read this and you're trying to understand Kwame's vision of food, there is no other pantry like it as far as I'm concerned in terms of like a a beautiful cookbook that's out there and people should read it and understand, oh, I didn't know that I'm using this in this way. I didn't know the history was actually this, this, and this. I've been using it in a completely different way. Or you just are sort of unapologetic about your pantry items too, which is what I, I very much appreciated. So that's what I want people to understand and to take away. Yes, the recipes, the stories, fantastic. It is really a yearbook of your life. But the pantry I thought was just outstanding and, and, the, and the descriptions and everything. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. I also encourage people, you know, when they are going through this and building this pantry that they could use this in other recipes, you know, having ginger garlic puree on deck, it will just make your life easier because peeling ginger and, and garlic, it sucks, you know? So if you do it in bulk and just have it ready to go, you know, green seasoning, um, all the different spice blends, they can be used for this book, but they can also just be used in, in cooking in general. And I think that the idea of the pantry being so voluminous in this book also sort of dovetails with how this cuisine has traditionally been made, meaning a lot of the work is done before. So, you know, it's, it's labor intensive, but when you have time and you can grab that time to, to, um, create these spice blends or whatever else, then when you're actually cooking, you can use all these shortcuts. So it's quite quick. And, um, that to me was such an illuminating way of cooking that applies not only to the recipes in this book, but to other, you know, that idea of shortcuts is tremendously helpful. Another uh, pantry item that I felt got its recognition, and yes, people have talked about it, but I appreciated your perspective on it, was Maggie season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody's familiar, but it would seem most of the world is, but Americans are not familiar at all. No, they're not familiar with it, like, um, contextually, but they know they've eaten it before, you know, they just don't know it, you know? And, and that's why I thought it was important to really talk about that. Cause it is prevalent in, in cooking and it makes things more delicious at the end of the day. You know, that, that's our, that's our goal, right. Is to make delicious food. There's taboo around, you know, Maggie products and they're mostly rooted in racism and false information. So 
Um, so yeah, I thought it was great to, you know, to really include that in the book to make things also taste authentic. Because Maggie does have MSG, <laughs> yeah. and I'm very enthusiastic <laughs> that a lot of people now are able to talk about it in a way that they weren't not that long ago. Yeah, what a relief to not to see like mm-hmm. a here's our homemade artisanal Maggie cube recipe. Like, <laughs> so please just just use the Maggie cubes. I mean, on this on this pantry thing, you know, like the book is called My America, and and I think you know the the idea here is it's it's this perspective informed by all these different influences. You know, that Kwame's food is 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 driven by, and this life perspective that's different than you know hot dogs and apple pie, like the the kind of cliched America. But like flipping through this pantry section, like the thing that uh, struck me is not necessarily just like how voluminous, how many pages, how many recipes there are, but like <laughs> it's like having a dictionary for somebody who speaks 15 languages, right? Like it's just like here are all the words you need to know if you speak all of these languages. And it's like it's really it's you know, it's it's a little overwhelming to be honest with you, but it's it's kind of amazing to see, you know, this is not a. It's not a West African cookbook. It's not a Caribbean cookbook. It's not a Chinese cookbook. It's not, you know, any single thing. And it can probably, like I said, it's probably a little overwhelming to see like so many disparate influences drawn together. But like, this is your perspective, right? This is what this is the building blocks of your actual cooking. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it also lends to the name like My America. I, I tell people like when when you're, you know, five years old and your your parents put a dish in front of you, you weren't like, what's the nationality of this dish? Like you just ate it and you know, you're in America. So for you, this is American food. And I think there's a lot of people in America that share that same sentiment. Um, and their dishes look different. You know, their upbringing is different and this is just mine. And this is my love letter. And I also think that that's like, um, one of the benefits of, of being able to synthesize all of these different flavors. And I think to be liberated from an outdated and sort of fetishistic notion of authenticity is that Kwame's cooking Kwame's food. This sofrito is part of his upbringing. Uh, GGP, ginger garlic puree, is something that he learned as an adult. House spice is something that he grew up with. And he's melt suya spice. We have an, um, a barbecue jerk sauce. These are all combinations, modern combinations, which are authentic unto themselves. Future food. Yeah. And, and they exist in the world. You know, if you go to a Jamaican restaurant, you're getting jerk barbecue, you know, they're, they're putting it on it. They're not really talking about it. So it's really, really great to like write these recipes down, you know, and I think I would love for this book to be the book that people go to when they want to make jerk chicken the right way, or they want to make Jamaican oxtails the right way or, or curried goat. Yeah. Speaking of oxtails, what what are your thoughts on the prices of oxtails? It, weirdly, they're going down right now. I don't understand, but for about a month, they were about almost eighteen dollars a pound. Some places, I don't know what what is happening with oxtails in this world. I don't know. The people we, are maybe... we were doing a lot of recipe testing. Sorry, <laughs> we drove up the prices. Exactly. I think people are eating more food, like a uh, more different food, you know, and really trying different cuisines. I think that there is a, a surge of, you know, interest in Jamaican food um, and West African food right now. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I blame, I blame Jeff Bezos or something. <laughs> the thing is like, you can't, you can't, oxtails are so, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that like, all of a sudden, 80% of American households are cooking oxtails. Like I refuse, I just don't believe that that's true. But I do know that like, you know, we all like oxtails and there's like not a substitute. Like they've got us, they've got us pinned down here. We can't be like, Oh, I just will use something else instead of oxtails today. But no. Um, I would say I, my bet would be that there's obviously a, well, not obviously, but there's a monopoly in the meatpacking industry that allows for both price gouging and supply chain issues to be even more disruptive. And I would imagine that the, the bump in prices has to do with that specific industry. I think you're right. I think it's I think it's a, a little shady stuff going on because I can tell you I go to H Mart and it's the most expensive oxtails in the Los Angeles area. Wonder why that is. You know what I mean? But you go to a um, Bristol Farms and I went to Whole Foods today, nine ninety nine a pound. Mm-hmm. I, my friend in my, my friend in Miami sent me a photo four ninety nine a pound. I I, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> wow. Dave keeps extremely. Tell, tell close. I'm judging the world's inflation 
I'm basically the like Fed chairman. It be its own like NPR inve- yeah. five part investigative I series. It, it would be actually good yeah. to the do Oxtel this. Hour. People the need Oxtel to understand hour. the Oxtail price gouging that's happening here. There's the there's something there. But you also said something about Jamaican food, uh, Kwame, and you know my my foray into a lot of the Caribbean was through Paul Carmichael and all all the beautiful things he was doing at Sayobo and on my passion. And just sort of me knowing him for 20 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. And the further I got into it, the more I started to cook it, the more I started to taste it, the more I started to understand it, the more I would close my eyes. And it's like, this is just, if my ancestors moved to Jamaica 200 years ago, 100 years ago, this is what Korean food might have tasted like. You know, it's it's so open. It's so, um, I just say it's future food and, and the description of JDS talking about your modern day pantry, where it's just authentic to you. I wonder when do we get to a point where that authenticity of your pantry becomes accepted so people don't even question, oh, that's Chinese, that comes from here, 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 the allspice, you know, the tomato paste, the masala comes from India, blah, blah, blah. But when do you think people stop categorizing it and it just becomes its own thing, like Malaysian food or the food in Peru, like, you know, Chifa cuisine, where it's just something new. And that's what I'm so passionate about is when you see these meldings of culture and a new cuisine gets forged. I'm so, I love that shit. Well, you know, you talked about this would probably look like your food if, you know, Korean people moved there 200 years ago. You know, the Chinese went to Jamaica and, you know, brought a lot of flavors that you see that are prevalent in the food today. Um I don't think people will ever stop categorizing anything. Um, I think that will just always be prevalent. But I do think the more and more we see books like My America, you know, the more restaurants we have like Kit and Kin and, you know, the stuff that like Nina's doing and Gregory's doing, um, it'll become more part of just the the normal diet here in America and around the world. Um, So I just think we need to see a we need to see more access and more representation on all playing fields and literature and television and, and restaurants, um, food editors, food critics, like all those things are going to play an important factor in, in making this, uh, you know, continue to make it a household name. Dave, what I don't quite understand what you're saying. You, you are eager for these things not to be classified. No, no, I, I, so- I'm, I'm, tra- I'm trying to figure out when does it become something where it's a, a- it's its own movement. You know what I mean? Where at some point people don't even know that say the food of the Caribbean or Jamaican food is a amalgamation of three or four different cultures. Right. And I feel like maybe with the new pantry and I've seen it with Asian food and now with my America, people are going to be introduced to something new and they're, they're going to see the lines. You know what I mean? They're going to see the, the, uh, I always think that a really great dish that merges cultures, you can't see the seams, Right. It clarifies to them, meaning like they see it in a higher resolution. So they don't see it as this like monolithic kind of genre, but they understand, oh, these are the influences in each of these cuisines. Let me me better describe, and Chris could maybe even better clarify than what I'm about to say is, when will people stop looking at my America and the pantry items and everything that Kwame is talking about and cooking as something that is not of them? You know what I mean? Yeah. When is it not just Kwame's America? <laughs> like sort right. of like, uh, I think what Dave is saying is like, if you eat in the, if you eat in Jamaica, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily say like, so what you do is you combine this Chinese sauce, you know, with yeah. this West African sauce yes. and then this ingredient from the, the, the Taino people over here to create this dish as opposed to like, this is Jamaican food. And so I think that like where, where we are in American cuisine right this moment is like undoing a lot of like kind of just flattening right yeah. of, of culture Clearly and so America's that's why fractured but i you know i i hear what you're saying and I, I think the only thing that i would say is there's also so much exploitation and fetishization uh and uh appropriation that has happened as sure. well so i think that there's also a danger in totally divorcing whatever ingredient from its background and just heedlessly using whatever <laughs> spice. And I'm saying this as like a, 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 a white, you know, cisgendered part of the patriarchy, you know, that has been part of this uh, erasure um, that I do think it's important not to, not to just use heedlessly different cultures, food, 
food ways. And I, I think that that's, that's true. And I think Dave, Dave agrees with that as well. And I think, but what we're sort of saying is, I think right now in this moment, like it's, it, there's an important dialogue about undoing, you know, what we've, that for, for the last two and a half centuries. But I also think there's a, a bright future where there is a kind of unified, you know, it's like, I, I want to be like, you want to be like proud of, you want like all Americans to like have some pride in like American cuisine and you want that American cuisine to be inclusive of all of these things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want people who are like, I love American food to be like mean chicken pot pie and hot dogs. I want that I, to I, mean I'll give, you, I'll give you another example then. This is maybe better to, to communicate. I was asked to write a, a, a short column when I was spending a lot of time in Australia, what Australian food was. And I love Australia very much. What I loved about Australia is intensely Asian, right? And I would even argue Australia is Asian in terms of its location. <clears throat> and I said, Australian food is everything that is not Anglo-Saxon for the most <clears throat> part, right? Because people think it's British. I was like, you can't find British food. Yes, you see some pot roasts and Sunday roasts and pies, but that's not what people eat. People <clears throat> are eating Greek food. People are eating Middle Eastern food. People are eating the Thai, Korean all kinds of Chinese food. It's this, it's this merger of everything else that what people think is Australian food. They didn't want to run it. Mm. And, 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 and yeah. part is like, part is when, when do we accept that Kwame's pantry isn't something that is yeah. a new pantry. It is just American pantry too. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, I'm, I yeah, want I, that I acceptance. I, I hate that people have to divide it. And yes, I'm totally on the same page of respecting <laughs> where it's coming from. Well, can I, can I add just one really quick onto what Dave is saying? Because I, I think like bringing it home too, <laughs> my mom always yells at, at me about this uh, as well, because like, I, I, of course, like I don't, as a Chinese person, like I don't like to have like my culture just flattened and appropriated or whatever, but I also don't like for it to always be singled out as Chinese, you know, like I don't want my contribution to this country to always be a Chinese American contribution. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. I want to feel like a part of the fabric and not like yes. a specific subset of the fabric. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, I think both, both things can exist, you know, and I, I, that's what I'm saying. People are never going to stop categorizing something, but you have the power to, to, to live in your own truth. And that's why, this book is, was made. It's, this is my America. It doesn't have to be your America, you know? And then yes, apple pie and hot dogs and pot roast and chicken and dumplings that can still be a part of America, but this was my version of America. And I don't, I don't think I necessarily need someone to, to invite me in and be like, oh, okay, all right. This is now a part of American cuisine. It's just, this is, this is just what I ate, but there's a lot of people here that ate this too. Um, and there's all these people also make up what America is. So it's just adding to that conversation. But I think those places still need to have their own identity, you know, because I don't want to go to Jamaica and then the Jamaicans are saying, well, hot dogs are part of our culture now. Like, you know, I think having that pride is is also really, really important at the end of the day. And that's what keeps these dishes along. And that's why this book is so special, not just because the recipes, this is a this is also an, a, this is another book. Like the anecdotes really tell that these dishes were a snapshot in time. There's no Jamaican fucking museum that you go to and there's a picture of a guy who created curry goat. That doesn't exist. It will not exist because it was telling the story of that, that, that dish took a snapshot of time. There's not a person that can attribute to that recipe. Um, it was all the things that had to do with it. Goddamn curry goat. Oh, so hungry. I'll tell you one thing for sure. Goat will never become a popular meat in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's a guarantee. Worldwide, it's one of the most popular meat meats. Not in America. Americans will never, ever no, be like, like mm, goat. I mean, you know, it'd be funny if after this uh, goes live, um, a, a Jamaican historian reaches out and says, actually, at the Jamaican Museum, it was... Yes. Julius Randolph who created it. <laughs> if, if you would come to my museum here, you would see the exhibit <laughs> and the specific attribution. <laughs> or the, the estate of Julius Randolph sues me for <laughs> libel. Exactly. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Joshua, I wanted to ask you something. I- one of my great regrets over the pandemic was not being able to go to a, a, a crawfish seafood boil that Kwame held out here in Los Angeles. Did he happen to send you some crawfish? Um, I have never received crawfish. I haven't received his um, <laughs> nail polish. <laughs> I haven't received... Oh, oh, it's the airing of grievances. Here it comes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're Hufflepuff. That's what happens. They're trying to break us up, Joshua. They're trying to break us you up. You know... You did collaborate on an apron, and I think they're sending me the apron, but that shouldn't even come from you. That came from some PR lady. But I will say that I'm in therapy to deal with all of these slights. <laughs> and it's called The Dave Chang Show. When you give me one of your hundred books, maybe then I'll give you a gift, Joshua. All right? Oh, I, ha- I, I have a right own. It's called My I Own. Want, I want my own. I want something different. It's I want to have kids day. one day. Maybe some kids' books. Okay, I'll send you some kids' books. Kwame, you, 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 have this, you have this recipe in your book, too. Can you let everyone know what you do from start to finish about a boil? And I've gotten myself in a lot of doo-doo talking <laughs> shit about boils, but I'll let you... Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you censored the first finish. shit. And then, <laughs> wait, you censored... You said I got I a lot myself. of doo-doo for saying shit. <laughs> I, I thought I heard a Hugo running behind me. I said... Uh, clean it up well if you get your crawfish in live you have to purge the crawfish you know you have to like rinse them a bunch of times you know some people even put a little bit of salt in the water um to to flush them out and then but you have to build your your boil which is you know shrimp stock um lots of house spice i put um this hot sauce in there you know that we make from from scratch it's louisiana hot sauce lots of citrus, um, you know, thyme, garlic, and we'll put the whole citrus, just squeeze it and just dump it in there. And, you know, we'll let that go. And then we'll add the uh, potatoes and corn to that and let that cook all the way through. And then you add your crawfish and pretty much cut the heat off. And you let the crawfish sit in that liquid and, and suck up all of, all of that deliciousness for, I mean, it could be up to a couple hours, you know, to really, really get that flavor. And then, you know, you can keep it in a cooler and keep it nice and warm. Um, when you're ready to eat, eat it, you just scoop it out, put it on the table and get busy. You can sprinkle some more house spice on it if you want some extra pop of flavor. Um, but it's truly one of my favorite things to eat. I was just in New Orleans. I drove across the country, stopped in New Orleans and ate my weight in crawfish. Oh, my God. I'm dying. So I, I've, I have um, David Simon, uh, creator of The Wire, and, and Tremay, and a bunch of amazing shows, Generation Kill. You know, he's a Baltimore native. I grew up in the eastern seaboard area, spending a lot of time in the Chesapeake. And we, we would be in New Orleans picking fights with our friends that live there, the chefs and the diners. 
because we believe it's steaming and then putting the, 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 the house spice or whatever kind of spice blend. The Chinese no, way really is a no. stir fry, quick stir fry in, in a flavorful oil, which is Sichuan crawfish is outstanding, just simply outstanding. But then I, I had the Viet Cajun and Viet Cajun basically is Vietnamese flavors in a traditional crawfish boil. What are your thoughts on the steam? steaming of crawfish and then coating it in a spice i would say both of these things can live in the same world they just both in my cannot america live, but they my. both cannot live in new orleans <laughs> i think chang is saying in his america only one of these makes well my america looks a lot about korea north of the 38th parallel <laughs> yeah but chang how do you get the spice? Does any spice infuse the crawfish from the steam or it only comes afterwards? I, uh, this is where I love crawfish boils too, but I, I think you lose too much flavor in the boil broth. You got to just have it right. You just got to have it right. Whenever you're in no, Louisiana, bro. No, bro. we'll take you and get you some right I've crawfish. Had it in, I've had it. I still think you can make, I'm just going to stop talking. Yeah, no, yeah, keep on going for the next 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Dave thinks that Dave, Dave, I, there's, there's a balance. So you have to, you guys have to admit there is some sort of balance that needs to be struck because when you're, when you boil crawfish, you are extracting a flavor from the crawfish into the liquid while you're infusing those spices into the crawfish. Dave is yes, saying, right. And that give and take is a beautiful relationship, a marriage a synthesis. I think that Dave is arguing that there's no reason to give anything. Just yeah. take some flavor from if, the spice. If your, if your broth is super flavorful, like if you make a really intense like shrimp broth, you know, you're you're giving it flavor as well. Like, yes, maybe some crawfish flavor comes out of that, but the amount of flavor that you're putting into that crawfish, you are not missing it at all. But what do you do properly. with the, the liquid in the boil? which is so flavorful, but too it just, intensely. You, it soaks. You just soak the crawfish in that. That's it. You don't do anything with it after that. Yeah, is there any is there any tradition of like the you know like the Chinese master stock where it just like continues to grow in potency and you just reuse the same stock over and over again? Does this exist at all in the crawfish? Probably world? somewhere in Louisiana. Not someone that I know, but I'm pretty sure someone's doing it for sure. But I think because it's a seafood stock, you gotta like at a certain point, you gotta switch it out. It's, it's a giant pot, so cooling that down is very, very difficult. So it's I, not, I don't food, really see not, that not food safe to keep this seafood. It's in the danger going. zone. It's in yeah, the danger. It's zone. definitely in the danger zone. Dave, yeah. you don't think relationships are give and take? You think that you only take, you take, 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 and no give, give, give. In 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 eating shellfish, blue crabs, which is a metaphor for love. <laughs> We, you know, I read your Valentine's article about oysters, and it's, you really love this shellfish as love uh, uh, thing, huh? He's trying yeah, to trap well, you, Dave. People call he's me shellfish to, all the time. He's trying to trap you here. I uh, no, I, I, I'm not going to say anymore. I'm going to abstain because I'm just going to get murdered here, and I don't want <laughs> Kwame to get more mad at me about this. But I will say, I enjoy a crawfish boil. I enjoy the occasion very much. I enjoy a Sichuan Chinese style chili oil crawfish with a lot of mala flavor and i enjoy a steamed crawfish as well what i'm getting from this conversation is to the real reason why i did not come to my house because <laughs> no, no, no. you don't enjoy the crawfish boil. that's all right you just need to stand in your truth man uh, uh kwame where are you calling us from right now where in the world are you i'm in virginia i i'm doing this event uh called the family reunion. Um, so I'm out here checking it out at Salamander Resort and Spa. Beautiful, Tickets are on beautiful sale resort. now. Beautiful resort near my neck of the woods. This is the second year. Mm-hmm. Is, you is know, it right you now? don't come to anything I invite you to. That's what it really is. Now I'm thinking about it. God, this episode's so hostile. I don't even get invited. <laughs> I'm right with this. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I deserve it. Joshua, you're always invited. You're always invited. Dave, yeah, Dave is, Dave is doing half the book promo dates. You're just, you're not invited to do them. Uh, wait, so on this, are you, so Kwame, you're traveling for, for events. You're, you're, you guys are doing these book events. What's, uh, as you're crisscrossing the country, are there specific spots you're looking forward to eating? Oh, um, 
I'm doing I'm doing um, a couple dinners at a couple friends restaurants. So Kanji in Austin, um, Roots in 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 Houston, uh, Maketo in DC. Where else? I'm doing a dinner with Gregory Gourdet in Portland. So I'm doing one at Ben's Chili Bowl. I'm mm. actually just doing dinners at places I like to eat. That's, Ben's that's Chili really Bowl. represent so good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What are you What are you gonna, What are you doing at Ben's Chili Bowl? I'm doing a jerk chili dog with calypso fries oh, and um, and banana pudding, and it'll come with the book. Yeah, Dude, that's as DC as you can get. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. good. And Joshua, you're invited to come to all of these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, I, I mean, truthfully, like Joshua, are you are you making any? Uh, are you doing any travel for the book? Are you are you popping into these? Or are you sticking locally? I've been traveling. I just came back from Korea for two weeks because I'm working on a book about Jong. So I've been oh. gone for that. And before that, I've been traveling. I travel a lot for the Esquire, uh, best new restaurants and best bars. And um, I feel like I owe it to my family to be around a little bit more. So I think I'm going to be staying close to home, especially as school gets out and summer starts. Give us some. Uh, can you give us some Korea highlights? Where were you? I was in Seoul for a little while. I'm doing it with a chef named uh, Mingu Kong, who has mingles um, in Seoul. So we started in Seoul and had a lot of just tremendous, like Pyongyang, Namyang, the uh, North Korean noodles. But then we went to all of these artisans all throughout South Korea who are making jong, like Jeju Island, uh, Suncheong, which is the ancestral home of gochujang. And uh, I'd never seen jong being made before. And it's not actually that prevalent artisanal jong here in America. So it was very eye-opening for sure. Do you use, do you use jong? Yeah. I mean, we make it. We've been making it, you know, I, my mom stopped making it. We used to make all kinds of stuff of it in, in the lab. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of it turned a little bit more into the, the Japanese fermentation because to make it at scale is not impossible. We're working on it, but you know, nothing beats the the at home version, right? Yeah. In Aungi, but I think the person that's those probably are the, make, those are the big uh, terracotta pots that you age the the soybeans in. But if you go to Korea, you go to someone's backyard, they may have like a forty year old kangjang, which is like the Korean yeah. version of soy sauce. Again, very different in terms of how it's made, but. You know, I think all of this knowledge is going to one day be ready available, just like all the things that Kwame's talking about in his book. And again, I find this to be fascinating. Yeah, I think for me, it was so interesting to see in Kwame's book and in, in that cuisine, how time is used, like to go back to the pantry section, how so much of the cooking is, so much of the flavor is prepackaged in. And then to see that similarity in Korean food with Jong, where you're getting so much of that flavor from the up to yeah up to 40 years but usually around like three to five years of of these jongs that's where so much of the the depth of flavor is coming so to find all of these shortcuts cross-culturally i think has been you know to me as a writer that's what's been wonderful to work on these disparate projects to see the interstitial connections yeah i mean you know most americans just have a a batch of ketchup brewing in their basements (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're just rotting Oh, um, man. Kwame, what else do you have going on uh, media-wise other than the Salamander Resort, um, the book? I mean, I just said what else, but I know you got a ton of stuff. You got the, the, apron? Nail poli- the apron, the nail polish. Apron, nail polish, uh, the spices, the house spice will be available uh, through Spiceology um, directly from the book as well as the curry spice. So if you want to just grab that instead of, um, you know, using all those ingredients to make it. We'll have that. Well, let's just, for the record, say you should buy the book, read about how to make the house spice and the curry spice, but never make it at home. <laughs> buy it. <laughs> because we got it for you. Yes. We got it for you. And then um, the Kwame snow globes. <laughs> snow globes, hats. I'm really excited. I started acting recently. Um, so that's something that, that I've just dived into. I wrapped my first movie. Um, it'll be on Amazon Prime this summer. Started doing stand-up. I have my first like showcase at Laugh Factory in Chicago when I'm out there. So yeah, just been been keeping busy 
and flexing my my artistry muscles. Well, thanks for making us all feel really bad. Jesus, you, man, what Jeez. the hell? <laughs> just like I just wrapped my first movie, doing a stand up. Like that's wild. That's wild. What are you doing, JDS? Huh? Where's your stand up? Uh, well, I can't stand up. <laughs> um, I do have I have a new uh, children's book coming out in a in a couple of months called Lunch from Home about the lunchbox moment, which I wrote with uh, contributions from chefs like Mina Park, uh, Preeti Mystery, Nikki Russ Fetterman, and um, Ray Garcia, which I'm excited about that book. I have another kids book that just came out about introverts called Solitary Animals, which. Uh, I think a lot of kids need books that don't just talk about friendship, but talk about how it's okay if you, you're an introvert. Hufflepuff. I wrote another okay. kid's book with my young son who negotiated for half of the advance, which is amazing, called A Catalog of Hugs. Wait, so that's coming out. Your child negotiated half the advance? Well yeah. done. Bravo. I know. I know. It's annoying, but it's well done. That's He's good. eight. And then I also had another book that just came out with uh, Joe Campanale called Vino, An Essential Guide to Real Italian Wine. So there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> My God, these two. But I don't have any uh, stand-up shows or merch. I need to work on my merch game. You can join me in my stand-up. <laughs> you can okay, open. Guys. You can open. How long, yeah, wait, how, open. Long is your, how long is your second to be showcased at the, at the Law Factory, Kwame? Ten minutes. Yeah. Mm, man. I mean, Solid I have ten. a tight two I can do. <laughs> Yeah, just everyone's like, got a tattoo. Right? Just Hufflepuff jokes. <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes seems ten minutes of of comedy material. See, like I, I mean, I don't know. That sounds short, but like that is unbelievably hard to come up it's with. A like, long time. Ten, right? I've done it before. I've done I it before. I think Kwame is going to be very good at this. God damn, damn me too. Like everything else, I did. So listen, I did it one time, right? And so I did an open mic. My first one. I went there. I didn't have anything planned at all. I got there and all the comics were like writing. They were like, oh, yes, <laughs> this is going to be good. I was like, holy shit, I need to leave. I, I did not know that people were coming prepared for this. So I was just open mic, a bunch of amateurs. Get on there. I killed it. I just honestly, I just winged it and, and, and crushed it. So then I signed up again. I was like, well, give me the 10 minute slot. I got this. I'm not writing anything down again. I'm just going to go on stage. And it was like two people in the crowd for 10 minutes in a comedy club, it, it felt like eternity. So I feel if I can do it in front of two people, I can do it in front of two people. You, so, are you, do you, what, what you have, you are like a man of no fear. What are you afraid of? Um, I'm afraid of like, um, like lions and, um, <laughs> There's literally Beast nobody fighters. who's not afraid of lions. <laughs> <laughs> Lions, lions are terrifying. That's, that's, yes, that's the only I mean, thing you're afraid of. Come on, man. Yeah, you asked. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, guys, uh, always a pleasure, Kwame. JDS, good luck with everything, all the books and the. And I, I want to check out this comedy tour. Uh, Chris and I have nothing cool like that at all coming out. So you guys have a podcast. You guys have a you podcast. Guys have, a podcast. <laughs> yeah. have you heard of two guys with a podcast? Kwame's got a Kwame's got a tight ten. Dave and I have a loose sixty each yeah. <laughs> each, each week. <laughs> also to two people every week. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank Go check guys. out Kwame's book, My America. Go check out everything else that he's got going on and and and, and is there a, a landing page for people if they want to just find out everything that is going on in your life Kwame? yeah kwameonwatchy.com if you go to kwameonwatchy.com you can find out most things um that's happening also you know um if you look up family reunion tickets are on sale now it's a four-day food festival in the middle of virginia that celebrates black and brown contributions to the food industry so we'd love to see all you there beautiful thank you boys well that was a conversation with Kwame and JDS check out My America and all the things that Kwame's got going on including his stand up I, I think about doing stand up but I don't have the courage to do that there's just no way I'm friends with too many comedians to see that and uh, man I'm, I'm I sort of want to see it because I bet you he's extremely good at it because Kwame is a very, very funny guy on top of many of the other things he's so good at. So go check out all the things Kwame's got going on, his 
book, My America. He's got nail polish out. He's got all of these things happening, acting, comedy. JDS has a, a he's working on this John Cook book. I'm excited to hear about that and read about that as well. And it, uh, he brought up the restaurant Mingles, which is in Seoul, Korea. I have not been, but many people speak very, very highly of it and the team there. Check us out on Discord. You can uh, visit us at majordomemedia.com and you can get the link there and um, stay tuned for another podcast next week. Thank you so much, guys. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.